0: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. I'm Leona Evans, and I'm here today, as always, with my son and co-host, Matthew J. Evans.
1: Hi. Thanks so much for joining us for this very special episode.
0: Yesterday, July 30th, 2020, we witnessed a most powerful and memorable event, the memorial celebration of Congressman John Lewis, a powerful leader of the Civil Rights Movement, who served in Congress for over 33 years and who believed with all his heart in taking nonviolent action for civil rights, following in the powerful footsteps of his friend and mentor, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. John Lewis inspired all who knew him and was relentless in his faith and dedication to equal rights for all people and protecting and defending the Constitution of the United States of America, He was a true believer in democracy, equality, and the power of love.
1: The moment that made the biggest impact on me during the memorial service was during President Obama's eulogy. He said, "...it is clear that now, more than ever, we all need to take action to ensure the protection and expansion of the rights of all people." That to honor John Lewis, we have to continue his work in every possible way. Through our vote, through our actions, through our compassion, we have the power to create a more perfect union.
0: John Lewis's action was always in the name of love. Love of justice, love of equality, and love of a future global vision that Dr. King called the Beloved Community which he believed was not a kind of utopia, but an achievable goal that could be attained by people who were committed to the philosophy and methods of nonviolence. In the beloved community, there would be no racism, bigotry, or prejudice. International disputes would be resolved through conflict resolution instead of by military action. Now, Dr. King was a student of Mahatma Gandhi, who believed that conflict was inevitable, that in any society there would always be people who disagree with one another. However, he did not believe that conflicts needed to end in violence. He believed that there would be powerful ways that disputes could be handled, and he believed in the power of love to create that environment. John Lewis was deeply inspired by that philosophy, and every action that he ever took in the name of justice was based in nonviolence and grounded in love. Now, the love that he was talking about is much more than a personal love or romantic love. This love is called agape love. And it is a recognition that all people are created in the image of the divine and deserve respect and acceptance, whether we agree with them or not. John Lewis continued to work on a daily basis at reaching that place inside of himself that didn't look for retribution or retaliation, but justice and the dismantling of
1: inequities. In this episode, in honor of Congressman John Lewis, we would like to share two of the most celebrated nonviolent protests, not only to show how effective these protests were, but to share some of the philosophy of nonviolence, which is much more than an activity. It's a way of life. So today,
0: I respectfully challenge all of us to get off our affirmation and take nonviolent action in the name of social justice and equality for all. Now, let's begin talking about one of the great nonviolent protests of all time, the Salt March of 1930 in India, led by Mahatma Gandhi. Now, Gandhi had a clear understanding of his philosophy of nonviolence and wanted people to be clear that nonviolence was not in any way passive. Gandhi didn't support non-action in the face of injustice. Instead, he encouraged people to take a non-violent stand against anything that would demean or oppress humanity. He was not against taking action, only the use of physical force. He called his philosophy satyagraha, S-A-T-Y-A-G-R-A-H-A, satyagraha, which he translated as soul force. He believed those who practice satyagraha must be grounded in love and a willingness to take on legal penalties. In other words, they were aware that they were committing civil disobedience and were prepared to face the consequences in a civil way. Now, the Salt March took place in India during the time of British rule. There were so many injustices that the British government imposed on India, including a law that prevented Indians from manufacturing or producing their own salt. They were forced to import salt from Britain at a very high price, which was very insulting and degrading. It was also a great hardship to the many who could not afford it. So Gandhi decided to launch a Satyagraha campaign focusing on the issue of salt.
1: Gandhi wrote a letter to the British viceroy asking for a repeal of the salt tax. He informed viceroy Irwin that if his letter was ignored he would launch a civil protest. The viceroy didn't reply and so Gandhi went ahead with his plans. On March 12, 1930, Gandhi and several other companions began a 200-mile walk from his ashram to the Arabian town of Dandi, with the intention of harvesting salt from the beach as a symbolic statement of freedom from oppression. On the way, Gandhi stopped at dozens of villages, denouncing the salt tax, and in a matter of days, thousands of Indians had joined the march, including journalists from the New York Times and other newspapers.
0: When they arrived at their destination and Gandhi performed the illegal act of picking up a small piece of mud-filled salt from the shore, the salt, Satyagraha, officially began and Gandhi was arrested. In the following weeks, people came to the seaside in droves to harvest salt and approximately 80,000 people were arrested and many more were assaulted by the police. Journalists witness hundreds of Indian protesters being beaten over the head and not a single one raised an arm to strike back. Stories of these amazing events circulated widely in the international media, which caused great sympathy for India and much humiliation for Britain. When Gandhi was released from prison, he was more revered than ever. Time magazine honored him as its 1930 Man of the Year, and the British Viceroy agreed to negotiate with him. The talks resulted in the Gandhi-Irwin Pact, which gave Indians living by the sea the right to harvest salt and included the release of thousands of political prisoners.
1: This amazing demonstration of nonviolence was depicted in the movie Gandhi, directed by Richard Attenborough. It's almost overwhelming to imagine so many people being arrested and that much state-sponsored violence, and it's even more difficult to watch it on screen. It shows, though, that the ability to stay true to the concept of nonviolence is a kind of power that can never be demonstrated by violence. So much restraint and dedication.
0: Yes, and an incredible realization that the most important thing was their freedom, not their revenge. Now, as I mentioned before, Dr. King was deeply influenced by Gandhi's philosophy and even took a month-long trip to India with his wife to delve more deeply into the teachings. In his book, Stride Toward Freedom, the Montgomery Story, Dr. King says, The whole concept of satyagraha was profoundly significant to me. As I delved deeper into the philosophy of Gandhi, my skepticism concerning the power of love gradually diminished, and I came to see for the first time its potency in the area of social reform. It was in this Gandhian emphasis on love and nonviolence that I discovered the method for social reform that I had been seeking for so many months. I came to feel that this was the only morally and practically sound method open to oppress people in their struggle for freedom.
1: And this philosophy was so important to the leaders of the civil rights movement. On NPR radio, John Lewis said, Before we went on any protest, whether it was sit-ins or the Freedom Rides or any march, we prepared ourselves and we were disciplined. We were committed to the way of peace, the way of nonviolence, the way of love, the way of life as the way of living.
0: So, let's talk about the Montgomery Bus Boycott, another one of the most famous and successful nonviolent protests in history. The roots of the Montgomery Bus Boycotts began years before the arrest of Rosa Parks with an organization called the Women's Political Council, who had turned their attention to the Jim Crow practices on the Montgomery City buses. Blacks were not allowed to enter from the front of the bus, nor allowed to sit in the front portions of the bus, even if seats were unoccupied. Furthermore, in black neighborhoods, the bus drivers didn't stop nearly as frequently as they did in white neighborhoods. Representatives met with Montgomery's mayor in March of 1954 and listed the changes they wanted made, mainly that black people would be able to enter and sit in the front sections of the bus and requesting that buses stop at every corner, the way they did in white neighborhoods. By the end of May, when no action was being taken the Women's Political Council wrote to the mayor telling him approximately 25 or more local organizations were planning a citywide boycott of buses. About a year later, a 15-year-old named Claudette Colvin was arrested for challenging segregation on a Montgomery bus, and later 18-year-old Mary Louise Smith was arrested for refusing to give up her seat to a white passenger. But It didn't make nearly as big an impact as when Rosa Parks, one of the most respected people in the Black community, refused to give up her seat. The NAACP called local Black leaders together and they met to discuss the possibility of a long-term bus boycott campaign. After continuing to talk with city commissioners and having no success, Montgomery's black residents stayed off the buses for an entire
1: year. City officials were able to get injunctions against the boycott in 1956 and indicted over 80 boycott leaders. Dr. King was tried and convicted for conspiracy to interfere with lawful business and ordered to pay $500 or serve 386 days in jail. Four days after his arrest, his home was bombed, and he had to plead with crowds to remain true to the principles of nonviolence. After further
0: litigation, in 1956, the United States Supreme Court struck down laws requiring segregated seating on public buses, and on December twentieth, 1956, Dr. King called for the end of the boycott. He said... We came to see that in the long run, it is more honorable to walk in dignity than ride in humiliation. So, we decided to substitute tired feet for tired souls and walk the streets of Montgomery. The Montgomery bus boycott received international attention and nonviolent protests became the model for challenging segregation in the South.
1: I've seen photos of hundreds and hundreds of people walking to work, to school, to church, having to carpool, if they could, to get to places that were too far to walk. What an amazing sacrifice to make a commitment that involves such an extraordinary lifestyle change shows that incredible dedication to our highest American ideals of equality and justice for all. And to sustain that courage and dedication for a year in the face of arrests and violence is so inspiring.
0: Let's just take a moment right now to honor the incredible strength, fortitude, spiritual power, and dedication that the black citizens of Montgomery, Alabama, demonstrated. To be able to come to the realization that their freedom was more important than their comfort— to understand the importance and the power of nonviolence and to do whatever they had to do, to walk, to form carpools, hundreds of carpools, and to be able to realize that in order for them to make a living, they would have to find a way without public transportation to get to work and back. That was a powerful powerful commitment to their own freedom and to the power of nonviolence.
1: Yes, it was. And it was a similar commitment that the people of India made for the Salt March Satyagraha and the other nonviolent protests that Gandhi launched uh, throughout his campaign to liberate India there have been so many examples just from those two groups alone of successful nonviolent protests that we can model our own actions after look up to as role models it is so inspiring to learn these elements of history even though they're difficult to learn because these are times of tremendous oppression and conflict and It's so much violence to to witness and to internalize, but it's so important to see the light at the end of that tunnel that we can work toward. It
0: is a tremendous inspiration and one that we need to keep at the forefront of our consciousness. Those people who were willing to risk their lives for the idea of freedom and equality can take great pride in having realized that the real victory is not to smite the enemy because that just sets up a dynamic. The the culture of violence that we've lived under for thousands and thousands of years, the belief that the one who can kill more people or develop more bombs or cause more chaos is the stronger or the wiser and deserves to rule, This is an idea that has never worked. It has never brought about peace. War doesn't bring about peace. War brings revenge. Revenge from the parties who lose, who will try to build stronger weapons and get more power from their weapons to smite their enemy, and then they become the strongest and they become the leaders. It never brings about peace. The only real and lasting change can come through the power of love. From the radio program On Being, John Lewis said, When we were sitting in, it was love in action. When we went on the Freedom Ride, it was love in action. The march from Selma to Montgomery was love in action. We do it not simply because it's the right thing to do, but it's love in action, that we love our country, we love a democratic society, and so we have to move our feet. During a June 2000 interview with Gail King, John Lewis said, I was beaten, left bloody and unconscious, but I never became bitter or hostile, never gave up. I believe that somehow and some way, if it becomes necessary to use our bodies to help redeem the soul of a nation, then we must do it. Create a society of peace with itself and lay down the burden of hate and division.
1: Wow, what powerful words. And he showed that. I mean, he had bones broken. He was arrested dozens of times. He really did put his life on the line. And from what I have heard from his stories and people talking about him, he really felt like there were a few times where he could have died. And it would have been so easy for him to give in to hatred, to give in to his anger. How do so many people choose to do that? How do so many people give in to hate? And how can we turn that around in our society? We've been taught to hate. Children
0: don't hate for no reason. Children are taught to fear and hate others. Children are taught that we live in a win-lose society, and that unless we get ahead of our enemy, unless we make sure that they don't kill us, we have to kill them. We have to attack them. We have to outmaneuver them. We have to do whatever it is that we can do to stay on top. That's what we're taught, and that's why someone like Gandhi, Dr. King, John Lewis. That's why these people are such great heroes, because there's something inside each of us that knows that they're right. They have a way built on love that honors success for everyone, that respects all people, that has no prejudices, that is inclusive and loving. And until more people realize that there's nothing to be afraid of in trusting and in loving, we will continue to live in a culture of violence, but not necessarily for that much longer, because our planet is in danger of destruction right now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, one of the things Gandhi talks so much about is the violence that we commit, not only to ourselves and to those around us, but the violence that we commit against nature, against the world, against the environment, being intrinsically connected to that, that the only way we can really eliminate a culture of violence is to repair the relationship we have with every aspect of our world, the people on it and the world itself.
0: Yes, we need to begin by developing a relationship with ourselves learning how to accept ourselves, both our spiritual nature and our human nature, to be able to look out in the world and respect one another for who they are, to understand that unity is much more than uniformity. It is diversity within unity that creates the beauty and the harmony and the life, and that the earth is part of all of this. This is what gives us hope. And the change can be made, and our earth can be nurtured into wholeness again, and we can survive if we will understand and accept the incredible power of love in all of its magnitude.
1: Let's take a moment to talk about the similarities between the Salt March and the Montgomery Bus Boycott. Number one, they became aware that there were unjust laws that were suppressing their freedom. Number two, they realized they deserved to experience freedom, justice, and equality. Three, they respectfully requested that the authorities honor their needs. Number four, when that didn't work, they came together and demonstrated nonviolently in a spirit of solidarity and unwavering commitment for as long as they needed to. Number five, they achieved their goals without expressing hatred or violence. This is so important to, to realize the similarity, the way these kind of events echoed each other, because it shows that there is a model that works, a model that we can do today, that we already are seeing so many people do today, and we can add our voices to that. When we feel lost, when we feel overwhelmed, all we have to do is look at history and see, there were heroes that did this before, Not just the famous names we all know, but the thousands of unnamed, unknown protesters who went out and raised their voices in love to create change.
0: Yes, there have been many, and there have been many successful nonviolent protests throughout the world. But in order to discuss those, we'll have to do it
1: in another episode, you think? Definitely. It's a lot to cover. So much history, so much change.
0: I'd like us to close this episode with a beautiful quote by John Lewis. He says, You are a light. You are the light. Never let anyone, any person, or any force dampen, dim, or diminish your lights. Study the path of others to make your way easier and more abundant. Lean toward the whispers of your own heart. Discover the universal truth and follow its dictates. Release the need to hate, to harbor division and the enticement of revenge. Release all the bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart. Knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. Choose confrontation wisely, but when it is your time, don't be afraid to stand up, speak up, and speak out against injustice. And if you follow your truth down the road to peace and the affirmation of love, if you shine like a beacon for all to see, then the poetry of all the great dreamers and philosophers is yours to manifest in a nation a world community, and a beloved community that is finally at peace
1: with itself. Thanks so much for listening to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. Please get in touch with us and let us know what you think, what you're doing to take action. You can contact us on our Facebook page at the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast or on our website where you can subscribe and get all of the latest notifications when we upload new episodes. Once again, thank you so much for listening.
0: Have a wonderful week. You deserve it.